Welcome to the Soul Samples Podcast. I'm your host, Len Stanion, and uh, today we're going to kind of go through a little bit of the quarantine routine. Um, we've been in this for like a month and a half, so we kind of are starting to get into our own like rigid rhythms of things, um, but this podcast, I'm not doing by myself. I have a co-host, and I'm trying to have to laugh because it's my roommate, and we tend to not be serious 100% of the time, but... This is my co-host. Introduce yourself. Yo, my name is Johnny. I'm sorry if I'm a little extra, but yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Even though it's not thanks, I kind of forced his hand on it. Um, but he's going to help me kind of guide our thoughts. And I feel like it's just good to have a co-host in general because you get a different, a different perspective and more diversity involved in, instead of just my monologue um, that goes on for 49 minutes. That just isn't really inspiring to me so uh cheers to all of you guys that have listened to all of my podcast all the way through um so but i wanted to just think about like the quarantine routine um what things you've kind of gotten used to for me like every day blurs together nothing no day is distinctly different from the other there's so many times where i'm texting someone i'm like oh what day is it and it in some days it just doesn't matter it's just another 24 hours added on to the cycle. And sometimes it feels like I have like short-term memory loss. That's a fact. Like, I, I don't know what happened last week. No, not at all. Do, do, have you seen the movie Memento? No. Okay. So. so Memento is a, a movie about this guy that has, I think it's short-term memory loss. I don't know what, what it's called. But essentially every day he forgets what happened. That's kind of sad. And so he then tattoos every little, like, the events of that day so he remembers so he wakes up he doesn't know his name he doesn't know where he's at he doesn't know what happens and so he looks at each tattoo to kind of connect the dots to what what happened and eventually at the end of the story spoiler alert it came out in the 90s so i don't really feel bad he like ends up like killing someone and the crazy thing is you're kind of taken through this plot not knowing if the guy is good or bad so it's, it's like this interesting whole plot situation and you're like in it and they're like, crap, did he kill the right person? But that's kind of how the days are. It's just blended together, except the murder part. It, everything's blended together. No day is distinctly different. Feels like Groundhog's Day. If you've seen that movie, probably yeah, a better, a better <laughs> example of that. Um, and here in Tampa, they've opened up beaches. Restaurants are at 25% capacity. Florida has always been on <laughs> the edge of things. No one likes Florida because we do our own thing. Um, I mean, most of the time, I think they like, there's like this meme of Florida just getting cut off from the rest of the state and the United States pushing them out. And I just felt very offended because I, I grew up here. Um, so, but how is, Johnny, what's your routine? How is it blending together? Or maybe it's not for you. How's it been? I work the same days a week. I wake up, read my Bible, shower, read a book usual, and then get on my computer and do whatever I want. And then I usually visit my girlfriend, but she's like gone. Like she left campus. She's like an hour away. So my routine's changed again. So now I like have a lot more time on my hands. And then I leave that time to do better things like study and um, yeah. I think it's it's also like the paradox is like, oh, we have all this free time now. 
because we're in quarantine and we're stuck in our houses since we're not traveling xyz but it just feels like it's dead time it's not like i'm more efficient now yeah um and i think my honest response with all of this stuff is i'm just kind of over it i'm like fam can the world come back online so i can just do my thing like because this is boring now i'm just like okay there's like one of three things i can do today like what what am i gonna do but then i feel like when quarantine ends I'm not gonna know what to do. I'm just gonna be like, all right, what's, what's next? Because things are opening now, and I could go and like sit down at Olive Garden, but I mean, I'm still not doing it because I don't know, routine, I guess. Right, that makes sense. Like, especially if everything opens up all at once, then we're like attacking everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just kind of also thinking with now all of these churches and religious organizations. Um, are talking about the new normal, and I hate when people make up phrases like new normal, uh, just because I'm a, a, I'm a rebel, and I, I hate when people do stuff like that, and everyone catches on to this catchphrase, it's the new normal, new normal is we're not going to church, or we're not seeing people physically, and honestly, I'm just down to go back to regular life, um, and I, I was thinking also with the new normal being you know, church services being online, sharing on Facebook or YouTube. Like, can church actually be virtual, do you think? Like, like church, church, can it be virtual? Or is it, you know, or does it have to be, does it only have to be something where people physically have to gather? I think, I, I think it's better physically because... I mean, in general, church is like, oh, we just come together. And we can do the same thing online, but it's different. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's different hearing a sermon in person and then, like, having someone next to you and, like, agreeing to get notes together. Right. Worshiping together. Even, like, mm-hmm. looking at your friends and making jokes and, you know what I mean? It's, you can't do that online. It's just near impossible. And right. even the online um, church services have, like, barely to any comments where people are like interacting as much as we do in regular church. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just there's something missing from right. Yeah, we're still gathering, but it's just different. It's different. And I was thinking about like the the verse. I think it's in Matthew. It's either Matthew 13 or 18, where Jesus says, and it might not be either of those, and that would really suck for me. But it says Jesus is like when two or more are gathered like I am here or God is here. And so what's equated to that generally for me when I think about it is like, okay, that means, you know, that is church. And at first glance, it kind of makes sense because, you know, when you're two more gathers, they can pray, you can sing, you can do all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, But I don't know if that's necessarily what what Jesus is like actually saying. Yeah, and I think it just might be, you know, obviously God is with a community of believers because there's also the part of the whole church thing where it's represented as a body. Paul calls us the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and all of us individuals in the church community represent the part of the body. And so we use the analogies as arms, legs, eyes, nose, mouth, and all of them collectively create a body. So it doesn't seem like... (laughs) Two people can represent one body. Yeah. And maybe it is. Maybe I am kind of oversimplifying or over 
in making it more complex than it really is. I think, well, I don't know, but probably a stretch, but I think is like the least, or I don't know how you refer to like the bare minimum, basically. Bare minimum. Like, you know, you can have, you know, two or more is, is, is a, I don't know what to Two or more is like, it's a couple, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's, it's referred to as a couple. Right. This one. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, let me throw this idea at you. Paul also describes the church like a marriage. So can a marriage be digital? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, can it? I mean, I feel like a marriage that's digital is representative of <laughs> something a little crazy. I, I think it can be, I mean, to put it in logical terms, because somehow brain works. Yeah. Um, if you're married, like your husband is in the army or like goes on goes on a business trip, and like you guys have to FaceTime for like a year or just check up every now and then, do internet connection, then it's like it's still a marriage. It's just mm-hmm. you're further away. So yeah, I, I, th- I think it's still commitment is still there, the mm-hmm. love is still there, trust is still there. It's just separated. Yeah. Physically. Right. So like. As I was processing that, I was like, yeah, there's many people in the army, many people that are overseas doing specific activities for long stretches of time, and marriage is still kind of work. But I was also thinking like, but that's not where you want to be, right? They're not looking to be overseas or looking to be in another country doing business dealings in their marriage forever. That technology can help kind of bridge the gap for a time, but it can never be the, the like, replacement. The replacement. Yeah. It, it can never be the, the sense of security, the consistency. Yeah. And I was thinking about that with the marriage. And there's so many um, analogies that Paul or Jesus uses to represent the church, whether it be the body, which we just mentioned, or just a marriage. The other one is sometimes he calls it a household. But all of those things, in my opinion, not all, yeah, all of those things, in my opinion, can't really be done well without embodiment without physically person to person being there connected because that's kind of the ability and power of church it's not that we can connect online and just you know share content so to speak that it's actually calling us to connect physically relationally we can feel the presence of someone else in our midst and that challenges us because sometimes i might not rock with this person as i rock with someone else and so all this conflict comes together in this household of God. So without embodiment, I think the church is always lacking something. And I want to kind of, <laughs> I want to make an analogy uh, with where I'm at. And I think because I'm, I'm dating my girlfriend long distance and it's super fun. I'm happy. It's, we have a lot of fun over, you know, FaceTime or we're doing Zoom dates or whatever uh, the case may be. She's super, super like thoughtful. So she got me gifts for my birthday, which was fun. Um, And so naturally those things could be really like encouraging. Okay, we can still connect, but there's still some limitation. Like I can't feel her or feel her emotions all the time. I have to pick up on little cues that FaceTime is giving me. And it just doesn't even seem sustainable. And I think that's kind of the same thing that's happening right now in this quarantine routine. Everyone's like dialing into 
their Facebook Live or YouTube live stream. I know some churches that are using Twitch, which is insane to me. Yeah, Twitch. It's insane to me, but it's it's streaming and it makes sense. And so we're missing this kind of embodied presence kind of connection that's needed in every relationship and in so much more in the church because we're like connected that way. So long distance kind of feels in my relationship a bit of a curse, just a smidgen night of a curse because we're not around each other. But I think when we think about church, I think it's even harder. But I also looked at, um, I don't remember, it was like last week, someone's like, you know, they have like virtual baptism. Like so, there's this church that kind of completely integrated to this online idea and system. Mm-hmm. Church is online, obviously. Worship, all that stuff, lesson is online. And so they're like, "Well, we can't baptize people because it's we have this quarantine situation going on. So let's do virtual baptism." So you might ask, "How do you do a virtual baptism?" Yeah. So you create your own avatar. You create your own avatar, whatever, make it whatever you want. You make the same commitment before any baptism, obviously. I think looking at the doctrine sheet, I think that's kind of what it said. And I was reading it very loosely. I was more entertained by how the virtual baptism okay. went about. Aside from this inherent heresy that's going on, <laughs> baptizing someone virtually, you make your you make your avatar and then they have some random guy and then he kind of brings you into the water and then they immerse you completely. Now, I don't know completely how they got to the point where they felt like, okay, this is the next step in in doing this whole, you know, Christian church thing, but they felt like that was an option, especially with the quarantine, that we can virtually baptize you, forgiving you of your sins, receiving the Holy Spirit, and being added to God's kingdom. And your, you know, your name be written on the book of life. Is so, this VR? Is it VR? I don't know. I, don't, I didn't look that far deep. I think it, it might be. It might be VR. I think it might be VR. You're right. Because I've seen like I've seen other churches like wear gloves and like face masks or like mm-hmm. put on super protection and they, like you know dunk the person and then they like they, they still do baptism in person. They just have to take a lot of precaution. Right. It's like one person around rather than like twenty or ten. Yes. But, Yes, and I tend, I think that's the move. That really is the move. Be cautious. Make sure you don't have the coronavirus. But something as pivotal as like a baptism and what it signifies biblically doesn't seem like it can be equated to some VR pseudo experience. It's not your body. It's not your body being immersed. But it's that's as far as like this disembodied virtual church stuff is going. Now imagine like we have like just a wave or a second wave of quarantine, which is predicted by most people. Statistically, it's just gonna happen just because that's how it works and it sucks. But what I'm kind of believing is that the tendency for a church and for people and organizations is to over adapt and maybe like, okay, the next move is to completely and utterly transition completely digitally and do more VR baptism, maybe. Yeah, yeah, virtual baptisms with the little robots and, you know, they have the face and the iPad and then they put on gun on the robot, like, dries off. Yeah, it was nice, but, you know. That's, uh, that's not, that's, that's just as bad yeah. as the VR baptism. No. 
But I think where this kind of makes me land to kind of just close up a bit of this first segment is how important our bodies are to our faith. Because I think it's one of the more underrated aspects of like having a relationship is the physical and ultimately having a relationship with God, which uses our bodies, which is kind of backwards if you think about it. Because God is like, we don't see his body. We don't feel him in that sense. And so it kind of makes sense to logically train or think or link up that, hey, maybe our bodies ain't that important. Maybe we could just do whatever with it. But I think it is important. And I think there's many scriptures that talk and speak directly into that. So I wanted to ask my co-host, like, how much does your body matter to your faith? You think? I think it matters. Uh, I'm gonna get percentages because again, that's how my brain works. But I'd say seventy percent out of like a hundred. Okay. Why is it seventy percent? Why does seventy percent of your faith is tied to your body? Or mm-hmm. okay, explain that. Because I mean, we're spiritual beings, but we're also like earthly beings, and a huge part of our daily routine is like eating, you know, sleeping, um, you know, all the extra stuff you do in between, um, which all are like fleshly things. And so when I think about like our daily routine and worship, like true worship, when we do it with our actions, our bodies, um, that's like we're using our bodies to do it. Like serving people, um, even loving people, you do it by action and all of those you're doing with your body and if you don't have faith then I mean you're not really doing much work without your body so everything you do is through your body you know what I mean even worshiping lifting your hands closing your eyes singing um, even praying speaking everything is with your body majority of it is with your body I say 30% because 30% is like the heart and like you know the inward portion of mm-hmm. your faith mm-hmm. and so yeah, that's why I say 70% because I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, I uh, tend to agree. Like the body is the medium in which God felt like it made a lot of sense to build a relationship with. Like even like relationships in the world, a lot of it is, you know, body. Like we physically are with someone. We connect with just the vibes. You know, like 95% of um, communication mm-hmm. is nonverbal body language. So all these things are indicators to saying our bodies matter a lot. Even, um, you know, Jesus, he didn't come at, like, not to be blasphemous, but he didn't come at down as, like, a really, like, a puppy or, like, you know, a, you know what I'm saying? Like, he came down as a person, so. That makes sense. Yeah, like, he came down as a body. And we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but I think this kind of speaks into how do we get to a place where we thought that bodies don't matter? Because somehow that kind of got twisted in this whole situation. And so to do a very quick philosophical digression, the idea that spirituality is a non-physical idea where we're like our souls will send up into heaven, will fly and be in heaven with God is not really a biblical one. It emanates from the French philosopher René Descartes, where he claimed that human beings are more thinking things, meaning we're more a bunch of random concepts and ideas that we tie together to make sense of life and that our bodies are just just meat suits Mm -hmm. 
that they have no part to the end itself in life. The goal of life is not to deal with our bodies. And I think a good analogy to see that is back then, understanding the way they saw life in the world, at least for Nate Descartes, was like we're the, a big old bo- bobblehead. Like the only thing that matters is our brain and our mind and how we process things. We have itty bitty bo- bodies that don't really matter. And I think this does not make sense <laughs> because we do everything with our bodies. And I think the more I've understood like how the body plays a factor in all of this, even in like our bodies remembering certain events, if you've yeah. gone through trauma, your like body. your body can flinch at things that like, that's just in, like natural, mm-hmm. like it just happens. There's a book I'm gonna read pretty soon. It's called um, Our Bodies Tell God's Story. And then uh, another book that I'm gonna read called Our Body Tells The Story. And it's how our bodies kind of memorize certain events through trauma or just experiences. So God felt that it was super important for us to have our bodies to use, to connect with him. And I, I, I think you're like completely right. But um, while you were talking, I just had a thought. <coughs> Sorry, I think I'm about to. Um, the way people might be thinking about this is like, yeah, the majority, <laughs> the majority is um, like, you know, able to stand and do all these things that we normally do. But like, what about the minority? The people who can't walk, the people who can't talk, the people who can't see, who can't hear, who can't sing. And so they probably see those as like, well, if this is um, like God made us, right? They probably see it as like, well, it can't just be our bodies. Right. It has to be something more. more. And right. that's why, you know, all these things and like, it's more than just doing something physically, but like right. maybe spiritually, emotionally. But yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and I think... What I want us to like realize is so much in Jesus's story, he like talks about he healing people. True. His ministry starts out with him um, claiming the kingdom of God is in your midst, repent. And so in this whole idea that he comes in calling people to repent, the kingdom of God comes. So he preaches, he's teaching, but he's also hearing, healing people and doing miraculous signs. Mm-hmm. So Jesus thought in his whole ministry that healing someone's body was important to their overall spirituality. That it's this holistic part of us that our bodies engaged in our spirituality, our relationship with God. So that's why he healed. He didn't just heal because, oh, let me do this really cool thing right here. That's a good point. He's healing because he knows part of that person's spirituality is tied to their bodies. Mm -hmm. So let me take care of that so that I can that much more influence his heart to understand and get the love of Jesus, of God, to that person. So connecting our bodies with God is just part of his process and allows us to really experience God in a special way. And I think even more, as I was thinking about this the other day, like I realized, like, okay, it makes sense because the church is represented and analogized as the body a lot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if the body doesn't matter... Why would we be analogized as church community, tied and connected by the blood of Jesus, being the bride of Jesus? We're called a body. Mm-hmm. And I think in the same way, we're called to be reminded of what the body means in our relationship. And I think, Gianni, you mentioned something really like, uh, profound, because I wrote it down like two days ago, um, is that we tend to not consider the body a lot. 
And I think that's to our detriment to connecting with people yeah. that do have limitations with their body, right? Mm-hmm. There's many men and women that are on wheelchairs coming to church every week or just other ailments, maybe they're blind or deaf, that they don't experience all of God with their bodies. Yeah. Remember the Shema in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people of Israel, God's people, to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Your strength being all your faculties, your physical. And so when, exactly, what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, then you're not loving God holistically. Yeah. And so my tendency is like, okay, you know, people in wheelchairs come to church or people with limitations come to church. I don't know how hard it is for them to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't un- understand <laughs> the journey it takes for them to come worship their God with their bodies, even though their bodies are limited. If anything, this kind of draws in me an understanding of like sympathy and just like uh, humility and knowing that I've been privileged to have a body that works the way it does. Mm -hmm. And so my natural tendency is not to consider their stories or their journey to to go to church. It's like, okay, it's whatever. You know what I'm saying? Just Mm -hmm. keep it moving. But they're trying to love God with all their might too. They're trying to love God with all their bodies. And so our bodies is so significant when we consider our relationship with God. And so much so that the church is called the body again. Um, but I, I also find it funny that sometimes as a church we flip it and we still think in this like, you backwards. know, backwards. It's not really about the body at all. It's about our souls ascending up into heaven, which there's no, there's a lot of reasons why that's wrong. Um, Another thing is like, like, it's not about your relationship with other people. And this is what I've heard. It's more about like your connection with God. Like you can do this alone, which mm-hmm. you know, reading the Bible doesn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, I've heard that a lot. So maybe that's another thought that people have that you can. It's all about you and God, no one else, and that you don't need to have a body. You don't need to be unaccountable for anything. You don't need to confess or anything. Right, right. There were, we're missing so many aspects of of our like selves when we think about um, church when we think about what discipleship even looks like. Yeah. I think we forget that. And I think we think of even current culture and taking ourselves out of the Christian thinking and circles that our bodies are just, again, just a medium that can be tossed and, and turned and used to our own liking. Whether it's kind of like working with relationships or, or like sex is not really tied to anything. We just hook up and keep it moving or it's drugs, we're just trying to experience a high, and we don't really consider like what it does to our bodies long-term. We're just kind of keeping it moving. Or even just mental health, like That's true. going through depression or going through um, other challenges, working through trauma in your life. Like That's a part of our body, because in turn, those emotions, our body responds with. Yeah, but like, I, think, I think also like, there's a lot of, even removing like the biblical aspect of things, there's a lot of um, like research done and like scientific stuff done. You know, like the topic of sex, like when you, you know, have that relationship with someone, you connect it in a way that people can't really comprehend yet. And like when you stop, it like breaks, it like takes a piece of you. Mm-hmm. And this is scientifically, this is not mm-hmm. like, you know, biblically. And yeah, I was just, even with depression and what it can cause and how emotions, the way you treat people. So I, I mean, it's just a lot of effects that I guess maybe people aren't really looking for or thinking about or 
just maybe don't care. Right. Like, yeah. And so that's kind of like our present conundrum with like our bodies is we don't understand its value and its power. Mm-hmm. Even though we see Jesus really value his own body and the bodies of the people around him. That even in the beginning, like God made it make sense that he breathed in his own divine breath into dust or mortal body. He didn't just make us little emanating souls. Why didn't he do that? I think he found value in using our bodies and using our bodies well. And I think that's why sin is so challenging and so bad. Because this body that also is, that we're given, each, each and every one of us is given, is represented as a temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And if sin continues to kind of proliferate our lives, Christian or not, well, more so Christian, then our bodies then become contaminated. They, be, they become perverse. They derail. And we can't glorify God. We can't love God. We can't honor God with our bodies. We represent something completely different. And I think what I want to kind of land the plane, at least in this segment, really quickly on is as Christians and students and parents, we're experiencing a lot of screen exhaustion. True. Like all we see is screens. And even in my life, I'm like in my house doing work, relax. Either doing work, relaxing, um, doing schoolwork, whatever. All of these things are kind of mushed together. There's no distinction even in my work life to my social life to, you know, uh, you know, my spiritual life. They're all connected. And so versions of my life are all mushed together. And I think that kind of does affect our wellness, our relationships, everything. And so pretty soon we just get screen fatigued True. and we're just challenged. Like, we're not connecting with anybody. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, challenged to think that this some, something needs to happen. Something needs to change. Um, but I want to, like, suggest a couple books um, to consider this idea of, of the body. The first one is called uh, Why Emotions Matter. Um, it is by John Collins and Tristan Collins. Um, and they would do a great job of explaining how our bodies Um, are supposed to be like the dashboard to our emotions, that our bodies can be like a physical car and that if there's something off, the dashboard comes off, maybe check engine light or maintenance or whatever, blinks on and off to indicate there's something wrong. There's something going on emotionally that you need to tend to. Our bodies matter. Mm. And so this is why this book is so great because it tells you, like directing you specifically like, Hey, be aware of what your body is saying. And then the same thing with our relationship with God. If you're praying and you don't feel connected, that does matter. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say 99 times out of 100 it matters. It yeah, doesn't. It all that frequency, but it does matter. If you're not feeling connected, something needs to happen and something needs to change. Something you need to consider. Maybe something in your life that your body is indicating. Maybe it's like, you know, the... Um, uh, unrelenting standards of a boss or a teacher, or maybe you feel like you're just failing at life, whatever. Your body kind of constantly tells you these things. Um, in another book, maybe it's a little bit <laughs> more, uh, 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 not shaky or shady, but I guess uh, controversial. controversial. That's, that's, that's what it is. Maybe a little sus. It's not actually sus. It's actually a great book. It just has a provocative title. It's called Divine Sex, it's called, and it's by um, Jonathan Grant. And it approaches the same topic of our bodies, but more so in relationships. And it connects 
um, at least he's speaking to Christians um, that tend to be afraid of talking about things like sex relationships mm-hmm. and intergender relationships in general. And he's trying to guide like basically an open conversation with this stuff. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about sex. We need to talk about dating relationships and what impacts it. Because culture is in, influencing our bodies a lot. And he, yeah. he's trying to teach and direct us uh, to get there. So these are just a couple of books to kind of help you think about your body more and how it really influences your faith. And so with that, we're just going to end this segment. I think a question that comes to mind when I was like, like doing this whole thing and I was thinking about how important the body is in the church, the body, being represented in the body and how we're not actually meeting together as a church, as a body, is body, 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 sorry, that's weird. Um, is I think like the future of the body matters too. Yeah. Because it's one thing to just say, well, the body matters, clearly, blah, 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 blah. But what is our, the future of our bodies? And so... Um, I think we pulled up a couple of scriptures in 1 Corinthians and um, Paul is speaking to a church that is kind of a mess. Uh, his first letter is in response to so much turmoil from people that have told him about the church. And it's, to, it's thought that, you know, Paul planted the church and he knows a lot of people there. And so when we were picking it up in, in chapter 6, um, we're going to start in, what verse is it? Uh, we start at 12. Start, we're going to start in verse 12. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. It's just a switch up. I like to listen to or read different versions when I can. And mine says in verse 13, it says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach is meant for the, for food. Maybe, but God will put an end to both. Anyhow, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is meant for the body. God raised up the Lord, Jesus, resurrection, and he will raise us up too by his power. Do you not know your bodies are parts of the Messiah? So I am, so am I to take parts of the Messiah and make them parts of a prostitute? Heaven forbid. All right. So a little gory details in the whole, you know, scripture with yeah. sexual morality. We're not here for that right now. <laughs> But we're, we are talking about something interesting because he's like, okay, stomach for food, food for stomach, both the things will pass away. And most people like consider this scripture and think, well, this obviously clearly says that our bodies don't matter. But it's kind of weird because he flips it. Paul flips it at the end, right? He says, but your bodies were raised just like the Messiah was raised. And so if we're in unity with the Messiah through our decision to follow him, love him, repent and get baptized, then in turn, our bodies are going to get raised just like Jesus is raised. So it's kind of like this contradiction. And if you don't know a lot about Paul's writings, Peter was like, I don't even understand this guy, which is funny. But I think it leads us to think like, okay, something about the resurrection and the future of our bodies matter, especially in this passage. Like Paul is speaking into a reality that a church is not really like seeing their bodies as sacred, as temples where the Holy Spirit resides. And so they use it for whatever. Corinthians, uh, just imagine it just being just all sorts of kind of hedonistic um, kind of culture, meaning you're just seeking as much pleasure as possible. 
But he's also saying, no, 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 no. You, could, you can't do that with your bodies because your bodies matter. And so not just then, but forever it matters because that's how we connect with God. It's interesting that he uses, he starts off with like food, his for the stomach, and the stomach for food. But then is it, is it possible he, he's saying it because he means something else? Because I mean, possibly. I mean, if I think about it, right? Like in the Garden of Eden and stuff, and you know, hopefully in heaven, which I, I think so, we'll eat, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning we'll have some form of a stomach. Mm-hmm. And so does it, like, is he talking about that we rely on it too much? Are we dependent on something? Or like, because we, we'll, we'll eat in heaven, so it can be like it's ultimately bad. Or is he just referring to like, or is he saying it to mm-hmm. give an example of how we like are too reliant on the flesh or like our right. bodies? I, I don't know. I think you're kind of, you're right. If you look in verse 12, it says, you say, you say, for me, everything is permitted. Maybe, but not everything is helpful. Yeah. Or if you have other versions, it'll say everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. And he's always talking and referring to the community of faith or the church. And so everything that these people are doing, are all it's permissible. Like, you can do it. Go ahead. Like, go ahead. Knock yourself out. But is it really beneficial to your brother and sister? Mm-hmm. And so when we get to verse, um, later on in that verse, it says, um, but as for... But as far as I am concerned, I am not going to let anything gain control over me. And essentially, when he says food for stomach and stomach for food, he's talking into like this idea that your fleshly desires drive everything you do. Mm-hmm. Remember, hedonistic culture, it's about getting as much pleasure as possible. Yeah. And essentially, it's talking about the body because our body is full of cravings hunger and thirst it's desires that are driving our body and he's saying if you make your body the master meaning if you go too far off in the spectrum of your body's matter your body's matter your body's matter then it becomes your god yeah and then you can whop around to the other spectrum where your bodies don't matter and you disregard the value of it in your relationship with god paul is saying no 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 understand your body has a role in this remember Jesus was raised from the dead, so will you. And you will also be connected that way. Isn't there like a verse that says um, something about like, I, I might be wrong, but is it saying like, um, do not be so, like it's like saying don't be so so spiritual, but also don't be so earthly or something like that. I feel like it has to be a verse. Yeah, I, I think you're like, right. I think don't be overly religious. It's essentially is kind of what he's getting at, but don't be so earthly. And it's kind of, right, it's just two poles. I think Paul's saying that in Romans. I could be wrong. We're kind of going off the cuff, so don't judge us. Um, But I think what you're speaking into is like he's actually saying to a group of people that are like uber religious Mm -hmm. that don't really engage the holistic part of their Christianity. Again, this whole even body podcast is to remember that our bodies are a facet of our spiritual experience and our relationship with God. And if we're not engaging it, if we don't allow it to participate in it, then we're being in some ways so over-religious. We're all about the customs and the themes and we don't connect our heart to it. So being too religious is like it's all about the customs and traditions. And then being too earthly is like it's all about the experience, the feelings, craving stuff. So it is very similar. I think it's in Romans. Um, You have to look that up. But I think kind of wrapping back around to this, like... 
if we're driven just by our bodies, we're screwing it up too. Like there's an extreme that we can seek out. Our bodies matter. He's saying the resurrection. And if you're like familiar with Paul's work, like his, I say, magnum opus, his, his kind of most powerful or profound scriptures are seen in um, 1 Corinthians 15. Is that what a magnum, what, what is that, what, what's that word you use? Because I don't, you know. The magnum opus. It's, it's like, it's just a, a word to say his best work. Oh, okay. Yeah, just being a big wordy for no reason. Um, it's fine. It's really not that, that big a deal. But I, I think when we think about the future of resurrection in our bodies, we have to be thinking about 1 Corinthians 15 because this is kind of Paul's opportunity to spell it out completely for us. And it's so cool. So um, I'm, I'm going to turn there. Um, I think it starts in verse 20. Um, we might have to do a little journey and through the text, but I'm pretty sure it starts in 20. And so don't mind me flipping through physical Bible pages, um, but that's just what I'm doing right now. Um, I think I have, I think it does start in 20. I'm pretty yeah. sure it does. Yep. Don't wait till you turn there real quick. Okay. It says, but the fact is that the Messiah has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, also resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For just as in connection with Adam all die, so all die, so in connection with the Messiah all are made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits, then those who belong to the Messiah at the time of his coming. Then the culmination when his hands over the kingdom of God Kingdom, kingdom to God the Father, after having put an end to every rulership, yes, every authority and power, for he, for he has to rule until he puts all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be done away with will be death. Verse 27, for he has put everything in subjection under his feet. But when it says everything has been subjected, obviously the word does not include God himself, who he himself is the one subjecting everything to the Messiah. Now, when everything has been subjected to the Son, he will subject himself to God, who subjected everything to him so that God may be everything and in everyone. All right, so let us um, move a little faster. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? What does he um, say? Immortal and mortal. Towards the end. Um, 42. 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. When the body is sown, it decays. When it is raised, it cannot decay. When it is sown, it is without dignity. When it is raised, it will be beautiful. When it is sown, it is weak. When it is raised, it is strong. When it is sown in the ordinary human body, when it is raised, it will be a body controlled by the spirit. If there is an ordinary human body, there is also a there is also a body controlled by the spirit. In fact, the Tanakh says, or the Bible says, Adam is the first man, became a living human being, but the last Adam has become the life-giving spirit. So, super interesting, like passage even though I read like a bunch of verses that didn't get to the point I was getting to. 
Um, but it's, it's valuable to see like what he's talking about. Our body is sown in this decrepit state or a state that's decaying over time. And then it gets sown to be something that is not decaying. And, and I read it from the AMP version. And verse 44 says, It is sown a natural body, mortal suited to earth. Mm-hmm. It is raised a spiritual body, immortal suited to heaven. Right. I just thought that was really interesting. So like one is sown for, to live on earth and then the other for heaven. And so it's not, it's our body, but it's not truly our body, like the complete right. form. Right. Like, you know, there's the final form. Yeah, exactly. Dragon Ball Z final form. Like, a, a transformation is actually happening, yeah. right? I think that's the Dragon Ball Z analogy that's used. Something that was pretty good turns into something incredible. Yeah. Like, where ultimate reality happens is when our resurrected body comes in a form that's beautiful. It's powerful. It's profound. And our body matters in the future because we all will die, sadly. That's just the story for us all. But eventually, as our bodies are sown, and the sown idea is like thinking of seeds are sown, and then the only way, just like um, I think it's in um, a verse in John, I don't remember. The only way like a kernel of wheat can grow up to be anything is if it dies. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with our bodies. In order, in order for us to inherit these immortal bodies, these these things that are, are sown without dignity, then has dignity when it's raised, that it's, it's, it's like doesn't have beauty, but then comes up with beauty. It's, it's dying and weak and then comes back strong when filled, kind of an ordinary body, then filled with the spirit. You can imagine it just be like the golden form of Frieza, which is probably not a good um, comparison because Frieza's evil. But... Cell? Well, he's evil too, but... You he's, know. Yeah, Cell's evil. But it's like, we're making like Dragon Ball Z references, like everyone knows it, no one knows this. But it's like, it's more so representing like, there's something that happens to our body that's super profound. And if we're not really using our bodies and understanding what it does in this grand scheme of our relationship with God and eternity, then we can miss out on just knowing a future hope is our bodies are going to be incredible. Yeah, like a normal sense is like um, butterflies and caterpillars and how they go through a stage. And if it's interrupted, then it doesn't become butterfly and mm-hmm. it dies off. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even wrapping around to uh, an earlier point we made, like men and women that are limited to wheelchairs or men and women that don't have full capability of their faculties mm-hmm. and how that struggle has been for, for X amount or the whole lives, they'll be able to experience a body that is brand new. And also think about like Jesus, when he was resurrected he shows himself to so many people. For the most part, a lot of people, when they first see him, are kind of under this fog. We're like, yeah. who is this guy? Is this Jesus? And then he like shows up in people's houses without, with, through locked doors. And then he sits down and eats fish. And so it indicates like, yo, we might be eating. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's, like eating is, some, is something. You know? And that's important to know. Because if we're not thinking that, if we're not integrating that into our like overall relationship with God, if we're not hoping for that, we can then feel pretty depressed when we lose things like in eternity. Like, let's say you don't believe the body is going to be this special thing and you won't believe we're going to eat. Then eating food just is sad because like, OK, this is I'm not going to have this in the new creation. Yeah. And it becomes sad, a sad reality into, instead of adding to a future hope. But. 
I mean, I think of like everything that we do. Um, most things we like, we can worship God with it, right? And I was thinking like, how do, how do I worship God with food? Like, how does that happen? And how would I look in heaven, right? Like, oh, worship God with food? I, I think like, that's, I think using the temple metaphor that Paul uses, I think a couple um, New Testament authors use that metaphor, is that if I, my body is a temple where the Holy Spirit's going to reside, how can I worship God with food? I have to make sure my body is in the best shape possible. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Honoring God with our bodies is saying, I'm not going to do anything to cause more damage to it, to it than just kind of natural causes. So if I'm eating a bunch of junk food, I kind of have to reflect a little bit. Am I really treating my body as a temple where the yeah. Holy Spirit resides? Or is the junk food just making it hard for me to wake up on time, that I'm lethargic when I'm at work? Mm-hmm. Am I running on all cylinders or am I struggling to kind of survive? Same thing with alcohol, having too much alcohol, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, too much sodium, all of these things Do you think matter. the same thing goes for like meat or like the you know, meat industry, like, are we really glorifying God's creation? And then when we know that these horrible things happen and we take these things into our bodies. I mean, I am not a vegetarian, but I'm just saying, like, do you think that, you know, that that's a part of it? Like, worshiping God's creation or even our bodies are like, you know, taking in something that's, you know, but then again, I, I mean, I don't know, just a thought. It's a fair point, because especially because our bodies are taking in meat from you know, the way they like butcher and, yeah. you know, disgracing the, God's creation. Yeah, the way, it, the way meat is processed as a whole is very egregious and challenging. I don't know if you've ever been on campus and they like start handing you out yeah. the pamphlets, I've explaining it all, and you're just sad. Like, and you see like chicken, like, and it's how, like, and... I, how, yeah, they're like in their own, it, it's just yeah. not a clean environment, but even more so. Like, the chickens or the turkeys, they got, like, huge, like, chests. And, like, that's just not natural. You know it's not. GMO are getting pumped into it. So that's, honestly, God is, like, pointing to those things in our hearts and our consciences Mm -hmm. and saying, are you really putting that into your body? And that's challenging to hear because that's like, ah, you know, I, I don't have the most money to be frugal enough or wise enough to just pick the right foods to eat so that I'm not, like, you know giving in more into the industrial mm-hmm. kind of food meat processing industry, which is, it is challenging. It is challenging to like think, you know, conscientiously like, okay, that's okay. It's probably not. I mean, <laughs> our girlfriend's a vegetarian. And I think part of the reason is that is like, yeah. yo, that's awful and challenging. But then again, there are people who like are yeah. farmers, right? And, like, they raise cattle and they mm-hmm. like, treat them in a certain way. And they're like thankful and they're, blessed to, you know what I mean and there are people who raise chickens and chickens lay eggs every day and you know mm-hmm. so I don't and then when they you know so there's there might be like a balance in a way where like you know I think in heaven like if we eat meat right then like do you think in my mind I'm like okay is nature gonna work itself out as it normally does and like uh cow is gonna walk over to my front door and say hey you know it's, it's, it's time you know I'm trying to I'm trying to you know, let you feed on me because <laughs> yeah. it's stupid, but 
you know, like, how, how is it going to be, you know? Like, I know that nature has, like, its own thing where, like, everything's kind of balanced. And then I think about, like, in heaven, like, if we eat meat, how is it going to look like? You think it will be, like, a unity, kind of like how nature has it, where, like, it's just a thing that happens right. and it's, right. like... Well, it's, it's messy, but also clean. But you know, I can say way. for a fact, harmony, unity, and like peace is gonna like be a thing with animals. Like there's the I forget the, where and what scripture it is, but the lion lays with the lamb. Yeah, and so there's gonna be this unity involved with like just the relationships between animals. But I don't know. I mean, in the Garden of Eden, we were vegans. Like they were expressed. Adam and Eve are expressed as these. These vegans. So I'm not saying we're going to go back to that. Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe there'll be I some think, food that's even better yeah. than meats. You know? Possibly. Possibly. Um, I, I'm off topic. No, that's totally fine. Because I, I think this, we're talking about the future. And we're talking about how our bodies are part of it. And I think we kind of have to consider what we put into our bodies. Like the meat processing industry. And the, the meat we get from that. And then in turn... Is our bodies, if we're going to eat in heaven, are we going to actually eat, you know, these animals? It's a digression for sure. But, you know, I think we leave it up to your imagination and your faith. Like, God will work it out for us. I think we just have to allow our bodies to be a part of the future experience. I want to wrap back around to the present. Like, if our bodies matter, obviously in the past, the present, and the future... We kind of consider resurrection or resurrection of our bodies and how, you know, the things that are perishable will be imperishable with our bodies. What do we do today in quarantine when we can't meet up as a church with our bodies? Because it seems inherent that we still do need to do that. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know how long this COVID crisis is going to last. We're opening up here in Florida, but I know there's other places that aren't. And we're kind of having to work through that. Like, obviously, I'm in a long-distance relationship. I would love for things to open up everywhere so I could just, you know, hang out with my girlfriend or, you know, do other things that are super important to me. But I, I think for me, I was kind of bumping into this question over and over. And maybe I'm, like, out of line to consider this, but I've been praying about this for a while and listening to podcasts, reading my Bible, and really processing, like, this thought, like, if God is kind of allowing this crisis to happen and we can't meet up in body, in, as a body of Christ, at least in the form we're kind of regularly or conventionally meeting up in big groups on, you know, congregation on Sundays for the Sunday experience where we read our Bibles, we pray, we connect, we fellowship, um, and we hear a lesson that's convicting or challenging or inspirational. I think I'm just like questioning why are we why are we doing this virtual church? Meaning, why is God not letting us meet together? Cuz I feel like that's a big detriment. I feel like we're missing out on a lot of things when we're not meeting together. Um, does it imply that God's like, you know what? The way we do church, probably not the best way. This sermon-centric Sunday model, maybe that ain't it. Or maybe he's thinking, we need to challenge ourselves to transform and evolve amidst this pandemic. Maybe God's ultimately trying to teach the church about something. Um, And I'm just like a big picture thinker in general. And I think like, God's just not going to do this for no reason. 
yeah. like for no reason. And maybe he is. Maybe he's teaching us to lament um, with the people that are going through the, the challenges right now with the COVID crisis. Maybe he's teaching us to consider and grieve with those that are grieving, the unhomed people that are, are being challenged. But I have to, I, I really am challenged to think like, what does that mean for the church? I think we could be learning something like really important about how we meet up at the church and maybe how God wants to connect us to each other. So, do you think it's like, just a thought, but do you think it's because we, because I know you give the, the body analogy in the second Corinthians, but um, you think it's because we don't know which body part we are? Like, we're meant to figure out what role we play in, whether it be, you know, of how we interact with people or mm. like what's missing or what we can fill in or you know what I mean like purpose wise right so that when we are together again we work as one hmm. rather than separate you know what I mean I think it's that and big picture yeah yeah I think my assumption is that God is challenging us to consider what our role is individually to edify the body again I'm just doing things that are not just permissible but beneficial to building up the body of Christ but also I also think big picture like it always starts with you like one finger is pointing at the person that you're blaming but four fingers are pointing back at you like it does start with me but I also consider like God big picture wise maybe teaching us like hey maybe the current church model isn't the best maybe we need to rethink it Maybe we need to, to, to challenge ourselves in seeing a future for our church so that it becomes more of an impactful entity within the world. Because the church is supposed to be world changing. Yeah. Church is supposed to be the light on the hill that guides people through the darkness. It's supposed to be the salt that brings out the good in all things. The church is supposed to bring the kingdom of God that brings blessings to all communities that goes and makes disciples of all nations and becomes a blessing in that way. And I think maybe that's the lesson we probably need to learn. But I don't know. I think we'll probably find out on the next episode of the Soul Samples Podcast. Just kidding. Actually, not kidding. Probably figure that out more. I think there's a lot of thoughts that I want to process through because I think that's kind of the question I keep bumping into. Like, are we doing it right? And even just like, if you're in a church that's transitioning completely to the digital, streaming, all the things are through Zoom, Facebook Live, and YouTube Live, which are great avenues. I think we need to be doing that, but are we missing something? I think that's kind of where I want to end off uh, the podcast. I want to also give out some soul sample recommendations. There's a song um, called Sunday Morning by Child, Child, spelled C-H. I-I-I-L-D. It's a great song. So if you're looking for something to jam to, definitely, definitely listen to Child and Sunday Morning. Um, And I think I have one more song. I just can't find it. I cannot find it. Are these these like gospel songs or are these just songs? So that Child is not a gospel song. It's just, just, I mean, it's it's a clean song. Yeah, it's fair. one of my songs is usually like a worship song, and one of the other ones is kind of mainstream um, song. And I think the other worship song I'm just gonna give out. Um, 
um, uh, what is it, Brightest Arrow by someone Ketter. Oh, that's going to stick. Yeah, look it up. Uh, I think his name is Brian Ketter. I usually write it down, but anyway. Michael Ketter. Yeah, I think so. Brightest Arrow by Michael Ketter. It's an incredible, like, worship song. It's kind of funky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. So, all right, that is it for the Soul Samples podcast this week. Hopefully, it's been really, really encouraging. Hopefully, it gives you some samples for your soul to keep you going this week, especially in the quarantine routine. Hopefully, the, the days aren't mushing together and your workspace and your life space and your relaxing space aren't just like mine, which is kind of a disaster. But thanks for listening. I will see you next week. I am.